chapter 19, verses, verses 8 through 12. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Pay attention to this in verse 9. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs of aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Tongues. We left off with that last week. We see how the disciples here in Acts 19 are understanding. And what we just see what happens here is that they're giving this by the Lord, by the, by, by the ensign of the Lord, giving them direct proof. And we will see why it's so important that this is happening here in a few minutes. But we see the tongues are given to these disciples. The Holy Spirit comes down upon them. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we go over this every week and kind of start off by making the reminder that these disciples were extremely confused about who Jesus Christ is. And so this may sound repetitive to go on and on about this, but this is what the real problem is is in the church. Who is Christ? And we can see two major events that happened this week in the news reifies why people do not know who Christ is and why the churches are falling apart by their own weight, many of them. And Paul here is trying to teach them, basically, you have John the Baptist, you understand his gospel, he is a follower of Jesus Christ, it was Christ that saved him, they are given, they're, they're given the gift of, of tongues, and then they go out and they're out preaching, they're setting up churches, and actually we're right now in the middle, we don't even know this yet, but I found out we're right in the middle, Paul right now in these verses is setting up the seven churches that we read about in Revelations. He's in the middle of that. Ephesians is now forming. The church of Galatia is forming. Smyrna is now right down the road. And in the middle of all of this, he sends a beautiful letter to the Romans who dispersed all through Rome. They're scared to death because they're being pursued. You think we've got it tough right now? Oh, and it's going to get tougher. Because the Lord said it would. But we've got the ultimate protection, so we're fine. But the thing is, Paul is in the middle of all of this and he gives these messages in the middle of Asia Minor. Look at Asia Minor right now. Does anybody know where Asia Minor is right now, what it's called today? Yes, good job, Turkey. That's one of the worst horrible places to be right now because of the way the government is and the way that the attacks are. Look at Paul's in the middle of this hotbed. And this is what's going on. And so what happens here? What happens? I, I Personally, I think that this is better than pretty much any of these action movies that are all fake. I think this is amazing. We see the Holy Ghost. He says, do you believe? Of course, if they were Christians, they received the Holy Ghost. But Paul is trying to show them, what do you do with that? Look at verses 11 and 12. You see 11 and 12, what do you do with that? Even Paul's handkerchiefs had the ability to heal any disease and to cast out demons. I don't know what I would prefer doing more if, I, if the Lord gave that kind of power 
to me personally, I don't know what I would rather do more is heal the sick or cast out demons. Right now, casting out demons would be a pretty good profession right now in this country. <laughs> there would be, there's so many of them watching these rigged elections this past week. The demons are just, they're very powerful. And you can see what happens. What's that, Dave? You got it. <laughs> so anyway, Paul is asking him, have you had the seal of truth and Christ's doctrines in your souls? So we've been through that. We've talked about that. But the comfort of the Holy Spirit, what does that do? What exactly does that do to us? And then how does Paul teach them, bring them along, what happens here, and then what we see the effects of it is right now the Holy Spirit is working in their lives and we see the comfort. First I want to go over that and then we're going to move forward quickly. Lisey, sure, absolutely. Right. Amen. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. Beautiful. And you know, what I love about that is the humility going to... That's a great thing that Lisey brings up because Christ, in His humility on this earth in His ministry, He tells the people over and over, do you believe? Do you believe? They have eyes that they can't see. They have ears that they can't hear. Why don't you believe? And that's all he says, believe. He didn't say to go honor seven sacraments. He didn't say to, to go through a process like Martin Luther of self-flagellation, all these things. He said just to believe. All these disciples did. They came. Paul gave them the gospel. He baptizes them. He proves to them of, of a truth that the Holy Spirit, as Lisey's bringing up here, it's real. Just because we don't see it, we can't pet it on the head like a dog, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit is always working for us and never sleeps because the demons never sleep. And, there, and the Holy Spirit's always there. He's protecting us. Look what He's gotten us through in this church over the years. We didn't do that on our own, I can tell you that. We're still here. There is, the Holy Spirit is a seal that we can see Clearly, we can see that these are retaining the Holy Spirit. Is, Paul was able to re retain these incredible gifts. And they were manifested through Paul, his disciples, Aquila, Priscilla, Timothy, Silas. But then there was a great big, you want to call it an, an apostolic therefore, or I mean, or wherefore. The big, the big, the big nasty three-letter word shows up here. The word but. All this is happening, but something big happens here. Well, before we get into that, there is comfort. There is grace given to believers of the Holy Spirit, and this is vital to all of our needs as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses, um, let's see, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 to 22. Can someone read that, please? 
First Cor- no, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, verses 20 to 22. Can someone read that? Thank you. If God, through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, has sealed us, can anything unseal it? Can anybody, anything break that seal? If nothing can break that seal, then I'm here to tell you that you can never lose your salvation. You can't lose that. And the Lord promises that. Here we see the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit as a great consolation. These are the graces from our Lord Jesus of the Spirit given to all believers which are extremely earnest gifts. Here we see the spirit of comfort in our walk with Christ after Christ calls us to Himself and He converts us. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5 says, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And verse one, chapter 1, verse 6, And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer, or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And I was, I've been listening to a series this week about suffering, and, uh, and the pastor preaching about suffering makes it very, very clear, no matter how hard it is, no matter how difficult it is, Every last component and every last second of it is for a purpose of the Lord. It is there to reify and to strengthen our faith. It's for us to show others that are hurting. You know that, you, you, you know that you're growing in your wonderful Christian faith. When you, even when you're hurting, you're there to help others when they're hurting so that you can witness to them. You can't witness to them by sitting around and just locking yourself in a closet and just worrying about yourself 99.99%. If you can take that and you can witness to others, you now have a gift that the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly exhibited all throughout His ministry. And I could say, you know, because some other people in the Bible we can say that about too. There weren't a whole lot of them, but Joseph was one. He was awesome with that. Paul the Apostle was wonderful with that. And Peter, as gnarly as he was, and that's who I can relate to a lot. Peter, he had a big mouth and Peter was impetuous, but he loved to help other people. He loved to do that. That was part of who he was. And so, my, I, I, I had all this here. I don't want to read all this because we're not going to have the time. Once again, I'll look at the clock and it'll be over with. But the thing is, is I just want to say one of my favorite passages that encourages me that I go back to when I'm really struggling is I go back to Luke chapter 2. And I love the little cameo appearance by Simeon in... I'll tell you what, I'm going to read it just up to the Word. I'm going to read it up to the Word, and when I get to the Word, we'll stop. But Luke chapter 2, verse 25, And there was then in Jerusalem a man whose name was Simeon, and he was an upright man, fearing God and waiting for the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. What does that mean? If you take the, if you take the uh, interpretation of that, he was waiting for, and my favorite name of the Holy Spirit, the consolation of Israel. The spirit of consolation, the spirit of comfort. But that's what we need. In order to get through each day, we need comfort. And you're not going to, if you, put your, if you put your hopes in mankind giving you comfort every day, you're going to really fall short there. If you can first get that comfort from the Holy Spirit and get it from Christ and be emboldened in that, 
than anything else, all it will seem like is just a wonderful gratis. But you already have that from the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you can remind yourself of that is you have to be in Christ's Word. You have to be reminding yourself and encouraging yourself in that. And Simeon, with everything that's happening, he's waiting for that little, beautiful, precious baby, and he knew that that was the Messiah. He knew that was the Christ. And he waited for the consolation of Israel or the suffering servant of Israel, back in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant of Jehovah. And that is who, that's who Christ is. We see upon the receiving of the Holy Spirit as an ensign, and it's manifested with the furtherance of the gifts of speaking in various languages. Every man was able to speak in their language, as a quick review. They were able to speak in all the different types of languages. It was called perfect xenoglossy, an understandable language that one can speak or write which one cannot attain by natural means. Some call this paranormal. We call it an act of God. We call that an act of the Holy Spirit enabling this. And this is what they were able to do. These tongues were a sign that they were believers. Why? Keep that in the back of your mind. Why were these signs present in the New Testament? It's very important why they are. Think about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will, they, all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? I missed that verse last week, and I kept thinking to myself, where was that verse? I know it was in my notes somewhere. It was sitting right in front of my face, and I just kept reading over it. I forgot. But anyway, Paul says, if the tongues are given and people are speaking in some babbling, some babbling form, evidently this was going on back then, how can the unbelievers even believe, even begin to understand the gospel if they can't even understand what's coming out of your mouth? And I can take that a step further if you're not giving the gospel of Christ from Scripture and you're just giving, it, giving some kind of future prophecy of eternal life from your own opinion, it's not going to sound much different if you're twisting Scripture. It's not. It's not going to be very, it's not going to be very understandable. We see that the, what the, well, the fruition of all that happened here is the natives of Judah and Jerusalem, they hated this. And they came back and they basically said, what, are you all mad? Are you all drunkards? These wicked blasphemers once again confirmed their blasphemy of the Holy Spirit sent by God. And this is exactly what Christ had said to them. You've blasphemed the Holy Spirit. He told them that. Lisa. But, I mean, this is, this is what man has put idols 
Right. Right. Well, you want to give it a practicality, take it one step further real quick. Whenever the martyrs, Pastor Olson was talking about Savannah Rolla. I don't know, have, had any of you ever heard of Savannah Rolla in your life? I heard about it many times. That's good. Savannah Rolla, he was the one that actually was the advisor to Michelangelo. And Michelangelo did listen to him. He had his ear. Just like Queen Elizabeth, she listened very attentively to Billy Graham, and he did go over there many times. If you remember Savannah Rolla, if you remember the events that happened to Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, which was one of the most gruesome scenes of martyrdom of two young men right in this square in London proper, if you remember what happened to John Huss or the Goose 100 years before Martin Luther came, it wasn't the popes that could give the edict to have them wheeled down and burned at the stake. It was the queen. The monarchy has legislation over the Pope. She is the divine right over the Pope. She is. She had to give the edict. The Pope couldn't do anything until the king or the queen basically went and said, you go ahead and do it. It's kind of like the Pharisees with the Roman Catholic Church, or, well, basically, I'm sorry, the Roman Empire. They couldn't do anything until Rome gave the edict. So that's why the cowardly Pharisees Annas and Caiaphas and all them handed Christ over to the Roman Empire, they too were washing their hands, just like Pilate tried to do. But the, the sad part about it is they couldn't wash their hands in front of God Almighty. They couldn't do that. But anyway, just taking that a step, you're right, Lisa, you're right, 100% right about that. The power the monarch has is incredible. Right? Right. And there was a reverence. There, because I think there was a higher reverence for God. There was a higher reverence for Pope's officials. But as time has gone on, and the whole scene has switched to humanism, and you see the power has been taken away from, and the reverence has been taken away from those who would be in power, and it's been given to the people. And now the people are dictating what the morality is. Right. Now the government was always supposed to be Republican in and, in and of the people, by the people, and for the people, but it's now the people that are calling for different legislation for an egalitarian society where anything goes. There has to be standards. That's why we see the defunding of the police. They don't want them. 
There are, there are third world countries that have gotten rid of their police. They only have police forces only to defend the politicians, not the people. And so what we see here, what, this, this goes right into what happens next. Right here. Look what happens. What happens is after the disciples are speaking in tongues, we see here that Paul, the Holy Spirit, comes down upon them. Paul goes back to Ephesians, Ephesus, and he preaches. All of a sudden we see, but when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples. All of this takes a real turn for the worse. What happens is their disciples now, those that are loving the Lord, are being threatened. And what happens is they, they're, they're being conspired against. These wicked blasphemers, they, they confirm their blasphemy. And we see on to the Ephesian synagogue, Paul continues there for three months speaking in the synagogue as his objective by the direction of the Holy Spirit. Paul would begin in the Jewish synagogues continuing to bring the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was always his first objective. They were scattered amongst the mountains, still in different regions, and still many of them had absolutely no idea who Christ was. And if you go back to Matthew chapter 15, 24, we read, But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when we stretch that further, Christ is going after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He is setting up the disciples, training apostles for them to go to the Gentiles. And so after he ascends, now the work starts out. Go you into all the world, spread the gospel, don't leave anybody out. Tell everybody about the word of God. So we see that this new covenant is the fulfilled work of Christ, which began down many, many, down the road for, through many churches up to this day. We see this work being absolutely being worked through and, 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 and manifested by the Lord. The Holy Spirit would have Paul go to the synagogue, and then something happens. All of a sudden, the word diverse comes into play. Now, if you take all these verses, I. I find that to be one of the most profound words, and I did a little bit of looking at, looking at that, and I found something that's really a common thread in Scripture. Now, how many of you in the last several years now, especially the month of June, see the word diversity? Does that sound familiar? That's a derivative of the word diverse, diverse or diverse, diversion. It means it, has, it takes on two meanings. So when Paul, for three solid months, faithfully stays in the synagogues, all of a sudden these people rise up. Diverse or diversity? Diverse is not a misspelling of the word diverse. You see it's from Old English, it's from the old writings in the King James, D-I-V-E-R-S. You will not find the word diversity anywhere in the Bible. It's because this is an old, an old spelling. But you do see the word diverse in our lingo today in the New English with an S-E at the end. It's a word in its own right, and both words come from the Latin word diversus, meaning turning in opposite directions. And both historically could be pronounced as either diverse with a Z or diverse with a hard S at the end, and it's, more, it's pronounced more frequently as diverse. It's typically used before a plural noun to indicate an unspecified quantity also. So we've got two meetings here. We see here that it means turning in the opposite direction, and it means an unspecified quantity of people. So when you take both of this 
if you do a word search, which is very easy to do, you know, you hear pastors all the time, and they, they, they want to sound, when they want to sound very academic, they'll take a word and they'll say, well, that word appears 962 times in the Bible, as if they read the whole Bible over the weekend and picked every one of them out. You can go to the concordance online, and it gives you the number in two seconds. Whatever word it is, it's a good thing to do. I think it's good, but, you know, the word diverse shows up many times, many times in the Bible. You know what I noticed? What do you think I noticed? Lisey. Yes! It's all bad. There's no word that says, okay, it's all right for you to be diverse against what's being taught in the Scripture. The diversity is always an opposite objective against God. Always. It, it always is. Proverbs 20, verse 10. Can somebody look that up? And whoever gets 20, verse 10, read... Read verse 10 and then skip down to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23. And then can someone look up Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 7? These are two, I thought I think these are two fascinating applications. And wait till you hear the next application coming up. Who has Proverbs 20, verse 10, and then verse 23? Then go to verse 23. Thank you, Jenny. That's what Lisey said. It's never a good connotation. It's all, diversity is always never good. Because diversity basically takes a, 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 basically a standard that's already been set and etched in stone and has the people pulling away from it, always coming up with their own ideas and trying to change it. And basically today, what's being changed today is the meanings of, of, of the law of God because the law of God is no longer in effect because of the New Testament. That's not true. Who has Ecclesiastes chapter 5 or 7? Thank you, Teresa. It goes right back to the Lord. But all the diversity this verse says, when, and, what, and what we just read in Proverbs 20, what Jenny read in verse chapters, Proverbs 20, verse 10 and 23, what that verse sums it up, and this is what you're going to learn in Scripture. It's a very important lesson. Whenever you see diversity, go back to God. If you're questioning the diversity, go back to the Lord. What does He say? What sayeth the Scriptures? Peter said that over and over again. What saith the Scriptures? So these diverse blasphemers spoke evil. Now, look at the verse, and we've already talked basically and stretched all the way down to verse 12. Everything that's happening, we'll go through it. But it says, When diverse were hardened and believed not, they spoke, they spake evil, and I, this is what I find fascinating, King James Bible, of that way before the multitude. Does anybody ever, have you ever heard that term before? People of the way? Right. You ever heard about that? Is anybody, what can you say about that? Who are the people of the way? Amen. Does anybody remember John 14, 6? Very easy verse. Right. No man cometh unto the Father of me. I am the way. The people of the way were the ones that were always being persecuted by the diversity. 
They were the ones always. If you love the Lord, you're people of the way. And you will never, that seal will never be broken in your life. Lisey. Right? One minute to the opposite to worship the next day. Yeah. So, you know, and I was thinking what you just said about the queen. And, you know, connected me with me with that. If she had said, no, I'm not God. Don't, don't anoint me. I'm trying to, to, to you know, divert your, your focus from the Lord Jesus Christ. But they don't do that. They accept worship. How right. Right. That's exactly right. And look at, look at how it's almost like being bipolar. One minute you're wonderful, the next minute we want to kill you. That's the way it's always been in the Christian church. That's with Christ. One minute they couldn't wait for him to come in, and then the next minute they wanted to throw him over a cliff when he goes back to his own hometown. Did, did Matthew, did you have your hand up? And then, and then Lisa. Right. That's exactly right. Lisa. Diverse really does lead to perverse. They're, I think they're, they're, good, they're good first cousins. These people of the way, we see in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. Acts 19.23, about that time there occurred no small disturbance concerning the way. Acts 22, verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death and binding, putting both men and women into prisons. Basically, this terminology came from Paul. The people of the way, he, that's the way he called them. He, that was a term that he held close to his heart because the way was a two-sided thing for Paul. At one point, the way was an offense to him and he was persecuting the people of the way. He was killing them and bringing them in. Then when he got saved, look what happens. He, he defends and he loves the people of the way and he teaches them and he harvests, he harvests their hearts and the Lord gives them even power to cast out demons and there's nothing he wouldn't do for the people of the way. Go all the way to Acts chapter 24, verse 22. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off saying, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. And he didn't know who the people of the way were. And so when this happens... Basically, they was in a grip of ambivalence on what to do with Paul, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he's preaching, he's one of the way, but he's also a Roman. His father was a Roman, and he was also a Pharisee, so they didn't really know what to do with him. Listen to this about what happens to the division. What happens in these passages, Paul sees these people of the way being persecuted and attacked. He winds up 
pulling them out, bringing them into a college, basically a college, an acad- a really an academic setting, bringing them in, into the house of Tyrannus, and that's fascinating. And here's what happens. I want to give you a comment going back to the separation and why Paul separated them from this. Does anybody ever remember Tyrannus? Have you ever heard of Tyrannus? Well, what's the first part of his, his name? Basically stands for tyranny. He was a dictator. He was a Roman dictator, and not only was, was Tyrannus a Roman dictator, he designed this college and this school. He's the one that built it, and not only was it built, he was a prominent philosopher. He was basically a prefect, and he had immense amount of power. He had more power, of course, if you read about him, he had more power than Pilate. And what was fascinating about this academician way about what was going on here, if you can put it that way, they only had school till 10 a.m. in the morning here. If you go back and you go into records and you look at the history of what happened here in this very, very, uh, this very school called from Tyrannus, they only had school until 10 a.m. in the morning. This was in Asia Minor. And the rest of the day, Paul literally had this, 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 this uh, uh, school uh, room from 11 o'clock in the morning till 4 in the afternoon. The people would come in and they would go to school and they would learn about whatever they were being taught there. It could have been something medical, something mathematical, it could have been theological. They'd leave the school and go right over and stay and listen to Paul preach from 11 to 4 in the afternoon. Every day. He didn't do it just on the Sabbath day. He did it every day. He went in and he preached from 11 to 4. And they heard this. Now you can see how so many people started hearing the gospel. They, they were, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter their color. It didn't matter their creed. It didn't matter what they came from. They would go in. And can you imagine hearing on the wall Paul the Apostle blowing out the gospel of Jesus Christ from his heart? and talking about everything he was going through, and they were just fascinated. A lot of people went. And what happened was, right before that happened, look how the Lord blesses him, because there was a a real heretical onslaught on these disciples, and they were coming after Paul. They were coming after the disciples. Listen to what John Calvin has to say about this. And I just want to say, you know, I've been, I mean, I'm no theologian. You know who I am. I am all for commentaries, and even in this past week, someone came after me and told me, it's outside of the church, don't worry, they, 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 you know, I go to the Bible, I don't use commentaries. Well, I do use commentaries, because these men forgot more than I'll ever know. I quote them, I do the work, I read the Bible verses, and if the Bible verses and their, comment, and, and their comments add up, and they're glorifying and edifying to the Lord... I, I, I learn wonderfully by commentary because it takes me to scriptures that I never would have seen before. So I'm going to say here, John Calvin, here is what he said about this very event with Tyrannus. Luke addeth, of course, Luke is the one that wrote this book, the book of Acts. Luke addeth that they spake evil of the way before the people, for the contenders of the gospel to resist that deadly among others which they will not embrace. And this do they to no other end, save only because they be desirous, if it can be, to have all men partners in their impiety. It is well known that every ordinance is understood by this word way, but here it is referred unto the gospel of Christ. Now Luke saith that Paul departed from them and did separate the brethren 
By which example, we are taught that when we have experience of desperate and incurable stubbornness, we must lose our labor no longer. Therefore, Paul admonisheth Titus to avoid a man that is an heretic after once or twice admonition. And what Calvin is saying is, when people come to destroy the church, you have to cut them off. You have to reject them and you have to get them out. And this is exactly what he's doing. He tells Paul this. I mean, he tells, he tells Titus this. Titus chapter 3, and we read verses 9 through 11. He says, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth being condemned of himself. You go back to Matthew chapter 18, there are verses 15 to 18. Paul is talking about those two admonitions. When someone offends you, if they are a Christian brother, they were supposed to be or they profess to be, you go to them and they won't listen, you get pastors involved and they won't listen, then you must reject them. And that's what Calvin is saying right here. And so what was happening is Paul was rejecting these disciples that came out. They weren't even disciples, they were just listening. And they were crying out, against these disciples, and they were threatening to hurt him. And Paul said, let's get out of here. He separated them, and he went into the one school of Tyrannus. <clears throat> so we see because of this awful reaction to the preaching of God's word, Paul departed and separated the disciples to go to an Ephesian theological-type setting, perhaps a college that was designed and constructed by a Roman who was most likely the owner of the hall and a prominent philosopher associated with it. And then according to Western theological history, Paul had their ears from 11 to 4, like we just talked about. This length of time, for many months, Paul didn't just do this for a week. He didn't just do this for a couple of days. He did this for the span of over two months. Every day, this is what he, how he spent his time. It shows how much the Lord was working through him. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And this is what his objective was. He wanted to teach others so that they could carry on the work and that they can continue on. The separation there was something that Paul was laid really on his heart. And what I love about this, he's one man. And basically, in my, my assessment, basically he was a real superhero of the New Testament. He was protecting the congregation. And he was trying to watch out for them as he's setting up these churches. And he knew all too well that all these horrible strivings were going to come up against them. He knew that they were going to attack him, but he, he didn't mind that. See, he carried the scars. If you add it all up, he had 175 lashes that opened his back up. And by the time he was 60 in AD 65 is when he was finally beheaded by Nero. He couldn't see. He was so beat up, but he had no problem taking that. He never wanted to see his brethren touched. He never wanted to see a hair on their head touched or hurt. These people of the way, he loved them. So then we see, when you look at the miracles, well, I was hoping to get into this more this week, but I'd rather wait till next week because it's, it's, too, it, it's, it's a, lot, a lot to it, and I think it's wonderful. The effects of the Holy Spirit we see in chapters, chapter 19, verse 11 and 12, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Look what the Lord did. Just stop there a minute. Read that. I mean, if you ever get, if you get down and out, go back and read this verse. And the Lord wrought special miracles to Paul. 
do you think that he doesn't write? Does it, do, you, do you think that he doesn't give you special miracles? You can sit there and look on our, our list from Wednesday night prayer meeting. If you don't come, you ought to come. You ought to see how many people have been healed. I mean, we had just, just one example. Look, Lisey's mom, she's fallen. Her mom's doing well. We see how Anna's niece, who Anna was coming in here in tears for, for many weeks, and her niece had these horrible tumors. The tumors are all but gone. She was in this horrible stages of cancer. I mean, the Lord does, still does these wonderful things to us over and over and over. But what I want to say about the healing, we'll stop here in a minute. Why the cloven tongues? Why the Holy Spirit? Why the miracles? Why were these all wrought? Why were these end signs and manifestations? It's a very practical reason why. Does anybody know? The New Testament hadn't been written yet. And the Lord loves us so much that He puts it in writing and He confirms the words that He's given, backing up everything in the Old Testament, which we all, He already gave, signs and wonders and miracles in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. Signs and wonders and miracles were wrought all the way through up to this point with the ministry of Christ when He was healing. And if that's not enough, our Lord does it all over again by giving these powers where even Paul's handkerchiefs could touch somebody and they could heal them completely. And this is exactly why these were manifested, to, to, to reify and to bring out the authenticity of the promises of the Lord, as he does it over and over and over and over and over again. These special miracles by the hands of Paul, they were from his body, handkerchiefs and aprons were sent by God to cure diseases and cast out these awful demons. We're going to be looking at this next week. Yeah, we're going to have to stop. We're going to be looking at this next week, and then we're going to be looking also at what happens. We were talking many, many weeks ago about this goddess Diana and how this conflicts with what Paul's doing through the Holy Spirit. But I am going to say this. One of the things that Calvin and Henry bring out that I think is fascinating is how the papacy brings these real big magical artifacts for people to touch and to worship Remember how Pastor Olson was talking several weeks ago about all the splinters from the cross, and there's enough to make ten crosses. They're supposed to have the, the shroud of Christ and all these things. There's so many very, very rich gold artifacts and very expensive items that the Catholics use to hoodwink people into touching them. And it's supposed to heal them. It's supposed to help their eternity, eternality. And here, look at what Paul uses. Some old, beat-up handkerchiefs that he probably used while he was tent-making. And the Lord could use those dirty, filthy rags and people could touch them and it would heal them. And that was all by the power of God and Paul made that very, very clear. He made it clear. This isn't of me. I'm nothing. Over and over and over again. I am the least of the apostles. He says, all of my work up until Christ saved me was nothing but dung. That's what he said. All of my PhDs, everything was nothing but dung. Everything all throughout, 60% of the New Testament written by Paul is about Christ and never about himself. You see, you see where I'm going with this? I mean, this gets more, far more dramatic as Paul goes and all of a sudden he enters into a whole other problem. He now starts compromising the whole financial system of Ephesus where it was built around these, these little artifacts of Diana. And that's where we'll stop.
Let's finish with prayer this morning. Jacob, could you close us this morning? Thank you.